The following message is by Brother Doug Birch, Associate Pastor at North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to look this morning at the first letter to the church at Ephesus that's written here in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. These letters that we read uh, in Revelation, I know that sometimes you read in commentaries that they represent certain church ages and that right now we're in the Laodicean age. Um, I don't guess I can argue with Uh, there being a lot of lukewarm churches today. But these are literal churches, and I think in whatever age or era you want to look at from the time of Christ to now, you're going to be able to find uh, these attributes in churches today. Seven literal different churches having different strengths and, and, and different weaknesses. I think that you can find that. And I personally don't Uh, see this as God giving us certain ages to look for, but, but rather certain attributes that can be found in churches and to either learn from the commendations that he gives to a couple of these churches or the condemnations that he gives to these churches and do everything that we can to avoid those particular things. The setting, as I read, first of all, during our scripture reading, John is a very old man at this time in his mid-90s because of his stand for the gospel, because he continued to preach the truth. He was exiled to an island, a rocky island, to break rocks. That's pretty much what they had him doing. And uh, he was while he was there, he was given this revelation. He's the last living apostle. And the Lord Jesus appears to him. He sees this vision. And he, he sees this uh, personage in front of him. 
uh, by his own words, one like unto the Son of Man. And he sees that this, this man who is Jesus is standing and there are seven golden candlesticks around him. And in his right hand, there were seven stars. This vision is explained to John. And he says, I'm going to show you some things and I want you to write these things down. While you're writing these things down, I want you to write specifically to seven churches that are in Asia. It would be Asia Minor, what we would refer to it as modern-day Turkey. And he said, I want you to write these letters because I want each of these churches to see these letters, all of the things that are going to come to pass, but I want them to see what I think of them as individual churches. And you'll find in each of these seven letters at least seven attributes that he points out that we see, seven characteristics that we see in each of these letters. In the first one that we could understand is that uh, he will address the church first. You see that in every single letter. Then the speaker is mentioned, the one uh, who is writing the letter, the one who is addressing them. And it's, it's different for each letter. And there are certain uh, things that we would get from that. He also is writing in each of these letters, embedded in it, is the knowledge of the one who is giving the letter. What it, is, what it is that they know about the church and what it is that they know about all of the world. And then there is an assessment of the church given in each of these letters. There is also a command given in one of each of these letters. And then all letters have this phrase, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then you also see this phrase, he who overcomes. And then there's a reward mentioned. Now in a couple of those letters, those two things are reversed, but they're, they're present in every single letter. We're going to look at this first letter here to the church at Ephesus. But I want first of all to spend some time in looking at their history because I think that it is helpful for us to understand uh, at, really, probably out of all of these letters, we may be most familiar with the church at Ephesus. But I, I do want to go back to the book of Acts because I think that there are some very uh, clear references here that would help us to understand the history of this church. And I think help us to understand why he's addressing them the way that he is. First of all, in Acts chapter 18, verse 19, we're going to look there just for a few moments. We'll be in the book of Acts here for a few minutes at least. But we'll be skipping around to some, uh, some different uh, passages here. The first mention that we have of the church at Ephesus or the city of Ephesus is in Acts chapter 18 verse 19. At this time Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's been traveling around. He's actually just before he came to Ephesus he came to Corinth. And while he was at Corinth he met up with a couple uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They hit it off pretty, uh, pretty quickly. Obviously, they are uh, disciples of Christ, uh, understanding the, the doctrine of the Lord. But they're also tent makers, just like Paul is. And so, uh, he, he stays with them, as the Scripture says. Luke writes for us here in telling us, because they are the same craft, they stay together. 
After they leave Corinth, they come over to Ephesus. Now, in Paul's first visit to Ephesus, he evidently does not stay there very long. So when he leaves, he actually does leave Aquila and Priscilla. In Acts chapter 18, verse 19, it says he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. They desired that he tarry, that he tarry longer with them, but he consented not. So he says in verse 21, he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that comes in Jerusalem. So he didn't stay there for very long. This helps us to understand because of the... Um, the history that we now read, that it is very possible that Aquila and Priscilla could have been the nucleus of those first disciples found there at uh, Ephesus. They could have been the ones that were actually, uh, if, if not finding, founding the church, making preparation for Paul later to come in. Now, there is some reference uh, uh, and, and under Jewish tradition that the Apostle John went to Ephesus right after the crucifixion of the Lord. It is also later the place where he was when he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And it is also uh, in Jewish tradition believed that John actually went back to that church after he was freed from this exile at Patmos and actually pastored that church. We don't really see that in Scripture, but that is something that is uh, believed pretty strongly among the Jews. But I want us to see the beginning of the church here, and that is that Aquila and Priscilla, very prominent uh, companions of Paul, how that they were first left there in Ephesus as Paul left, uh, left to go on to Jerusalem. When he does come back, we see this in verse 24 of this same chapter in Acts chapter 18. Um, or b before that, actually, rather, verse 24 says that there was a Jew named Apollos that got there. It says he was born at Alexandria, and he was an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, and he comes to Ephesus. Now, Apollos is somebody that's mentioned here that he is diligently teaching the Scriptures at Ephesus. But then it says in verse 25 that he knew only the baptism of John. And then in the next verse, it says, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Now in the Greek language, the word diligently in verse 25 and more perfectly in verse 26 is from the same root. You just have a heightened expression in verse 26. So what he was doing was he was teaching the word of God accurately, but there wasn't a full picture. Because of the context, we understand that he was very mighty in the Scripture, very well versed in the Old Testament because the New Testament hasn't been written yet. And he taught that boldly. But there were some things. He, he must have been a disciple of John. It says he knew of the baptism of John. And so he wasn't taking it far enough. Aquila and Priscilla, however, took him aside and that couple expounded unto him the way of God more accurately. Not that he was doing something wrong. He wasn't teaching false doctrine. It's just that there were some things that he was leaving out. He was ignorant of, innocently. And so they took him aside and taught him. What I want to uh, focus on, though, is the church that is at Ephesus began strongly with Aquila and Priscilla, it began strongly with Apollos. They were taught. 
diligently. They were taught scripturally. And then as we go further on in chapter 19, verse 1, it came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, he had left. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. So this is Paul when he came back to Ephesus. He found certain disciples. And he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? They said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then next verse, when he laid his hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. So there you've got 12 disciples. Some say perhaps disciples of Apollos. But they're there. And they are joining themselves, some say, the nucleus again of the church. Maybe the church is being formed here. Uh, but Paul is, he notices there's something wrong. And he says, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? Because that was one of the signs to the apostles early on that this is a legitimate teaching of God. This is something that God sanctions. And they said, we don't really know what you're talking about. And so he explains to them what he's talking about. And they accept it. They believe it. And they're baptized scripturally. And then the Holy Spirit is given to them. And so again, in the church at Ephesus, very early on, you've got them being corrected. You've got them being founded and grounded on the truth with strong biblical principles. So we're going, remember we're going to the church, uh, go, going to the letter that is finally going to be written to them in the book of Revelation. But it's important to understand you've got this uh, written to them uh, about. So verse 7 here of 19 says all the men were about 12. So you've got 12 people that were, we might say rebaptized, we might say baptized for the first time. Then jump down to verse 10 of this same chapter. It says this continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. We're reading this morning in Revelation 2 of seven churches in Asia. And so what we're understanding here from the book of Acts, Luke is writing that from what was beginning in Ephesus blossomed all over Asia. Those other six churches, perhaps, are coming to be as a result of what was going on in Ephesus. And this is actually a postal route. You could find each of those churches there in Asia, and you can see that's exactly what, uh, uh, what, what the Roman road was connecting. Now, I skipped over one verse in verse 9. There were some people in Ephesus that were causing problems. It says in verse 9, When diverse were hardened, that is, there was a division in that group, some believed not, they spoke evil of that way. That way is something that you see... Uh, figured prominently in the New Testament, uh, which refers to the way of Christ. They spoke evil of that way before the multitude. He departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily or reasoning daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So very early on, Paul says, okay, you people, you're causing problems. And so he takes the disciples, the true disciples, and brings them apart from them. And he's teaching in this school 
of Tyrannus. So that's right here in Ephesus. And so he continues there. And because of all that, all of this uh, growth is happening. You see in verse 20 of Acts chapter 19, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now, we might say, well, sure, uh, you've got the Apostle Paul there. I mean, who could help but uh, develop under that kind of teaching? It was not without its problems. Every time you have got anything going on for God, Satan's going to be there, try to mess it up. That's just what you have. And so, because there was such a teaching in this city, there were some people there that didn't like it. In the city of Ephesus was the temple to Diana, idol worship. And there were those employed in the craft of being a silversmith. And they made idols. That was their job. They made idols. It's kind of funny because you, got, you go to the store, you, get, you buy an idol, then you bring it home and then you bow down to it and ask, what do you want me to do? But that's what they were doing. But because Paul was having such success in this church, there was an uproar that happened in Ephesus. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 19. This man Demetrius, who was a silversmith. Let's back up to verse 24. A certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but almost all uh, throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. Paul was cutting in on their, I started to say green stuff, but it wasn't green stuff. It was whatever color their money was. He, they didn't like it. And so this Demetrius calls everybody together and says, Now, now wait a minute. We're, we make our wealth this way. All Asia, they worship Diana. And this, man's, this man, Paul, is preaching all over Asia that these aren't gods. Well, they weren't. And people were believing it. And they said, we've got to do something about this. All of Asia uh, is, is beginning to believe this man. We go down to verse 28 uh, in uh, chapter 20. Verse 28 in chapter 20. Uh, that uproar, Paul had to eventually leave. But again, I'm building a foundation of where we're going to in Revelation. On his, when he left there and came back around uh, from Macedonia, he was actually going on his way to Jerusalem. He didn't stop at Ephesus. He actually came a little bit south, a little bit uh, south of them in, in a place called Miletus. And he called some of the elders down uh, from there. And verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch 
And remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone day and night with tears. And now, brethren, I commend, and, uh, commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So, and they cried because he left. But what I want you to see is he's warning them. When I leave, there will become some people to you. Uh, and they will not spare the flock. There will be grievous wolves that come. Now, just imagine their history and the teachers that they've had. And they're going to be on the defensive because of what Paul is saying. Much later than that, flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. When Paul does return, this is again his third missionary journey right now. When he does return back to Jerusalem, he's arrested. And he is put under house arrest. And he writes what we call prison epistles. One of those was Ephesians. He wrote a letter to the Ephesians wanting to uh, encourage them. One of the things, and this is going to pertain to the letter that we read in Revelation. One of the things that he says in Ephesians 5, verse 11, he says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It's a warning to the church. Now, there's a lot of other things that he said to the Ephesians. Uh, he, this is where we have the whole armor of God, put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Again, defensive. He's warning them of false doctrine, trying to get them to understand that they need to be very, very careful. And then, um, after he gets out of prison, he has left Timothy at Ephesus. And he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He writes to him in verse 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus... When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, Timothy's at Ephesus. Paul is telling Timothy, you tell some of those people there that they don't need to be teaching any other doctrine but the, tr the, the tr true doctrine of Christ. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in the faith. Uh, so do. Now, we ought to have a really good foundation of Ephesus. And so much later, this would be 95 A.D., something like that. You know, John's even been there after, I didn't read any of, anything like that uh, into that, but it is, again, Jewish tradition that John the Apostle went there. This church has had sound doctrine just burned into their conscience. And so we go back to Revelation chapter 2. They've had this uproar over the result of their preaching, this encroaching on the worship of Diana. They've been warned, do not keep company with those who teach false doctrine. And then God says to them, the Lord says to them, I know your works. And I know your labor. And I know your patience. And how you cannot bear those which are evil. 
and how you have tried those that say they're apostles and are not, and you found them liars. That must have been satisfying to them. Because here they are in all of this difficulty. And here, and notice again how he addresses them. Under the, church, uh, under the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These things says he that holds the seven stars. Now the seven stars we read previously in chapter 1 are the seven messengers of the churches. It is speculated that while John was on the Isle of Patmos, there were seven pastors, messengers, from the churches of Asia, perhaps, that came to see him. And God gave John this revelation and gave it to these messengers to deliver to these churches. I don't know, but that's what some commentators speculate. But the seven angels are the seven messengers, the seven pastors of these churches. And I think it is significant these seven stars are held in the right hand of the Lord. I feel a closeness to God that he's, he's, he's got those pastors protected. He, he, he loves them and he loves the churches. The churches here are the seven golden candlesticks. And in addressing them, their letter says, this is the one who is holding the seven stars in his right hand, who is walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works. You know, sometimes we, we live our lives and things happen that don't go our way and, and we throw up our hands. Why me, Lord? I, I'm trying to do right. Look what's happening to me. I'm sure that the church at Ephesus could have had episodes where they were looking back and, and thinking that. And now they've got proof from the Lord. I know what you're going through. I know your works. I know your labor, your toil. I know your patience. This word patience isn't, you know, just waiting in line at the checkout. Will it ever be my turn? Yeah. This is a bearing under a load. It's a toil. Something that is pressure that is put upon them. And, and what, a, what a consolation to have the Lord say, I know what you're going through. I know your patience. I know your labor. I know your works. I know how you cannot bear those that are evil. That's some of the things they were warned about. Don't, don't put up with that. So we see that in their history. It stuck. You know? What, what a blessing to a pastor when he preaches the word and the people believe it and accept it and embrace it. And he says, I know what, you, what you're going through. I know you cannot bear those that are evil. I know you try those that you know, test the spirits, whether they be of God. I know you try those that say they're apostles and are not. And you found them to be liars. You don't put up with it. You, you can't stand that. You put it to the test. You have borne. Same idea with the word patience. You have carried the load. I know that. You have, you have patience. And for my name's sake, you've labored. So he's mentioning the same things again. And now he says, you've done it for my name. For my name's sake, you've labored 
and you've not fainted. Oh, what a consolation. Listen, if you're working for the Lord, there may not be anybody else that, that notices. But God does. He knows what you're doing. You're not being given the credit for whatever it is that you're doing. God knows. And your reward is waiting for you. Well, that's what he's saying to these people. Nevertheless, oh no. <laughs> Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. I'm sure you can all agree if you've been saved that you can remember when you were saved. Man, you were on fire. You wanted everybody to know. And you just... You couldn't do enough for the Lord. But then, as time goes by, you kind of settle into a, just kind of this is the way it is. And the spirit sort of gets quenched a little bit. Maybe you get a little burnt out. Sometimes we're going through the motions. But we forget why we're doing what we're doing. So you can have a sound church, biblically sound, founded on the truth, doing everything outwardly that's right, but you can become cold to it. The fire goes out. And that's what had happened at Ephesus. They had been warned. They had a, a wonderful history. I mean, can imagine right in the middle of the worship of Diana and they're actually having an effect. To the point that the silversmiths are saying, we got to stop this. Can you imagine the kind of testimony a church has on a community where uh, idol worship is being threatened by their testimony? What a wonderful thing. But they had, they had focused so much on the outward and on what they were doing and why they were doing it. But as time went by, something happened. And Jesus, who knows all, knew those works too. And said, you've left your first love. Well, how serious was it? He said, you remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen and repent. And do the first works. The love of our Lord Jesus Christ is the reason we're here. Oh, everybody likes to have uh, credit for whatever it is that they're doing, especially in the name of the Lord. But we must never forget that the reason we're here is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We love Him because He first loved us. He is our first love. And again, remember, this church is not into false doctrine. I mean, they're just right on the money with everything. It would seem. But they've become cold. They're orthodox, but they're cold. They're, they're doing outwardly what God wants them to do, but inwardly. You remember Paul writing to the church at Corinth? I mean, I could do this and I could do that, but if I don't have love, I mean, what good is it? Love is the driving force of why we're here. We love the Lord. 
And then God, the Lord even says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Love is what's going to keep us from insisting on our own way and giving preference to those who we consider to be weaker than us. And boy, that's hard. Because you want to say, well, grow up so I don't have to be put out. I'm talking to me too. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Now that's serious because... He said in verse 20 of chapter 1 that the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, this is what it is. The seven stars are the angels, that is the messengers, the pastors of the churches. And the seven candlesticks that you saw are the seven churches. So each of these letters are written to these churches that are depicted in John's vision as seven golden candlesticks around the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, if you don't repent, I will come to you quickly and remove your candlestick. In other words, I will shut you down. I will cease to recognize you as a church. Now, you may meet, but I won't be there. That's serious. And then, sort of as uh, to not end on a bad note, he says, but this is what you do have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans are only mentioned twice in the Scripture, and it's right here in this chapter. It's mentioned in the letter to the church at Ephesus because they hated those deeds, and then it's mentioned later to the church at Pergamos, the letter to them, because they had it. They held on to it. They believed it. They, there were some in that church that practiced it. Well, one of the problems is we don't really know what that is. There are varying explanations, and I'll just give you a few. The Nicolaitans, if we take just the word itself, it is from a compound Greek word, nikao, which means to conquer, and laos, which means people, people conquerors. It is speculated by some that this might be just a, a group of people, a sect of people who just lorded over everybody else and just tried to be the, the big cheese in all of it. And that God hated that. Some say that actually this is from a man named Nicholas, followers of a man named Nicholas. Some even go so far as to say it was the, one of the original deacons, Nicholas. There are some Jewish history books that actually say that Nicholas had a beautiful wife and that the apostles accused him of being a jealous husband. And to, to prove that he wasn't, he said, no, any man that wants my wife can have her. And that this led to loose morals. And that those who aligned themselves with Nicholas had loose morals in the church. And they speculate this because in verse 14 to the church at Pergamos, it is in the very same context of the doctrine of Balaam who taught 
uh, Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, which was the same sort of thing, the intermarrying of people that uh, were idol worshipers. We don't really know. But whatever it was, it was a bad thing. And God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was commending the church at Ephesus, saying, you hate the deeds, the works of the Nicolaitans, and I hate them too. I'm commending you for that. He says in verse 7, again, something that you see in each of these letters, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. What is an ear to hear? If you hear the Word of God, and you know what it is saying to you, then make application. That is an ear to hear. Now, some people say, well, you know, so-and-so didn't do right because, they, well, they just didn't have an ear to hear. And I always want to say, well, whose fault is that? It's not God's fault. If I don't have an ear to hear, it's my fault. So it's a warning. If you hear what I'm saying, what the Spirit is saying to the churches, repent and come back. And to him that overcomes. Now, this word overcome is actually the very same root as what you see in the Nicolaitan, it's Nikao. The one who overcomes, you heard of Nike, same thing. The overcomer, the conqueror. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What, what a, I mean, can you get any better reward than that? To, who, to him that overcomes, now this is, you might as well just say, the saved people, the ones that are my people. The reason he, he, he he ends in something like that as some kind of a reward for the overcomer, I believe, is for us to understand that no matter what our struggle is, sometimes we fail. Sometimes we just have to repent and then try to do better. Start fresh the next day. Sometimes we fail again. We just need to keep doing better. We need to keep repenting and keep coming back to the Lord and understand that our salvation is something that... When we get to heaven, we are, uh, we are experiencing, experiencing things that God has already promised us. And so he says, to those who are overcomers, I will give to you the tree, to eat of the tree of life. Same kind of thing that you see in the Garden of Eden. Which, remember, Adam and Eve were forbidden to come into the Garden of Eden to eat of the tree of life. God says, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. It was judgment. They were cut off from it. And so those who are overcomers, those who are saved, are promised to be able to eat freely of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Isn't our repentance and adherence to God worth that? For God to give a promise like that, for God to give um, the incentive that when you're saved and you get to heaven... This is what you'll experience. Yeah, well, whatever. I'll just stay with what I'm doing now. We'll just keep going to church, you know. No, we would want to change. We would want to see that God wants us to understand that it's worth living for Him. That the church at Ephesus does need to repent. They do need to, yes, continue on in what they're doing outwardly, but also remember and do the first works. And remember, not that it's just important to do what they're doing, but to understand why they're doing those things. 
They have a rich history. Good history of strong teachers with Aquila and Priscilla, with Apollos, with the Apostle Paul, Timothy, and I didn't mention, Tychicus is also mentioned in one of his letters as having been sent to tell Ephesus more than once what is happening with Paul. And then if John was one that actually went there as well. We do again read from history that he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John from Ephesus. So they've got such a rich history. It's worth repenting and doing the first works knowing that God says, I know your works. Oh, he knows. He knows our works. He knows if I'm here just because it's Sunday and Matt asked me to fill in for him. I mean, he knows if that's the only reason I'm here or if I really want to be here. You know, we, we, we look at these and it's, it's a strong reminder of why we need to continue doing what we're doing. Because, you know, if you think about it, what we're doing is kind of old-fashioned. I mean, there's a lot of churches that just want to blend in. They don't like persecution. They don't like people saying, oh, you know, you all just don't, you need to get with the times, you know. Um, and some things, you know, granted, may be all right, but I don't want a lot of distractions. I'd rather just keep doing what we're doing as far as just, I mean, let's just come here, sing praises to God, and, and, and listen to the preaching of the Word of God. I don't, I don't need to be entertained. I mean, there's enough of that out there. The hook here needs to be Jesus Christ. One person told me one time when I was pastor of a church, well, you know, you all aren't doing anything. I said, well, what do you mean? You're not doing anything for the kids. I said, we're teaching the kids the Word of God. we got Sunday school classes for every age group. We're grounding them in the Word of God. I knew what they were hinting at. Well, they didn't stick around for very long because I wasn't changing. And I, you know, I don't think we should ever change. We need to focus on the Word of God, but on our love. Why are we here? This, this, is a, this is a strong church, and I think this church has a rich history of strong leaders. And let's never forget why we are who we are. Would you stand, please, as we prepare for an invitation? Lord, we ask that you would continue to watch over this church and bless this church as she serves you. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with our pastor, that as he returns, he will be rejuvenated, that he will be rested, that we will follow him as he follows you. We pray, Lord, that you would be with those here today as there perhaps are some who do not know you in the free pardon of sin, that this might be the day that lives are touched, that people repent, turn to you in salvation. Whatever, whatever thing that you are dealing with people in, whether it be salvation, baptism, church membership, we pray that this might be the day that lives are turned toward you. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us in the times that we have failed you. In Jesus' name, amen.
We pray you were encouraged by today's message from the Word of God. This sermon audio is available for free on all major podcast formats. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website, northbryantbaptist.org. Thank you for listening.